One of the great ironies for business owners is that we all think or feel what is really holding me back is unique to me. We say or think things like, nobody could understand what I'm going through. Simultaneously, we're all saying and feeling this exact same thought. Being comfortable with the fact that others have had the same obstacles and overcame them is often helpful in giving us the confidence to get past our own hangups so we can make real progress. In this three-part series, I'm going to share with you the most common fears I see holding people back, so hopefully you won't feel like you're the only one who has them. Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. To get started in this series, I think it's critical we understand that there are really only two reasons we don't do things. One of the reasons is we don't know how. If my car breaks down the side of the road, I could desperately want to fix it. The consequences of me not fixing my car and getting to my destination could even be severe. What if I just cut myself really badly and needed to get to the hospital right away? The severity of my situation does not change the fact that I don't know how to fix my car, and thus I cannot resolve my situation. My car, if left left up to me, will remain broken down. The other reason we don't do things is because we perceive that there is a compelling reason not to do that thing. Now, that compelling reason could be as simple as a a prioritization thing. I've already worked 80 hours again this week, and I need to spend some time with my family, or they're going to find a new husband and father. It it would be better for me to do this task later. I have a deadline to meet, and getting payroll done, uh, you know, for getting payroll done is tomorrow. The deadline I have for getting payroll is tomorrow, and the deadline for buying a new van, for example, is not as urgent So I just don't, I don't do it today. I have to do this other thing instead. I've perceived there's a compelling reason not to do the van today because I got to get payroll done instead. Another version could be, I just don't feel like it today. I've been working my butt off and a day of rest is in order. So I'm just prioritizing rest today over doing more work. We could also have, instead of uh, prioritization, we could have the avoidance of a feeling, which is arguably still a version of prioritization. I get that. But the I don't feel like it right now could be because I'm tired or frustrated or mentally exhausted. And if I do this now, I won't do it well, or I will be even more tired or exhausted. Uh, The avoidance of a feeling could be, I absolutely hate going through my financials, so I'm going to do it tomorrow instead of today. Which for some is really because they don't know how they're supposed to, or you know what they're supposed to do with all this information on the P&L. They don't really know how to go about reading it. So I would say refer back to part one. I don't know how to do something is sometimes a compelling reason for us not to do stuff. Or I don't want to have this ugly conversation with my employee that needs to happen. But I don't know what to do or say to get them to improve their behavior or performance, so I'm just going to lose it. I'm going to lose my mind if I have to have this conversation with them again. But I really don't know what to do anything different. So again, I would say in this case, refer back to part one. I don't have specific knowledge to solve my problem. So sometimes things think, sometimes it feels like we're avoiding a feeling or making priorities when in fact it's really we don't know how to do something. 
But then we do have real avoidance of a fear. If I had that ugly conversation with the employee whose performance or behavior needs to improve, they might not like me anymore. And that would be too big of a price to pay. So when I say we're going to talk about fears, I'm not talking about the fear of making payroll. We've all been there and shared those experiences. After they've passed, we find somebody who we think could understand. We'll talk about that stuff. It's not really a big deal anymore after some time has passed. We all have a fear of losing everything if something goes wrong. Most of us have fears associated with the dreadful impact on our employees' lives if something went catastrophically wrong in our company. Those are not the kinds of fears I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kinds of fears we don't share with others because we think we are the only ones who have them. I'm talking about the really debilitating fears like, I'm not really worthy of having success. I'm not worthy of the success that other business owners have. But these are the kinds of fears that people have, and they're nearly universal because they're human fears. They're not business owner fears. One of the most common things I hear people say is some version of, you don't understand, Brian. It's different for me. So how the fear was created and developed when we were three to five years old and how it manifests and manifests itself today is probably unique for sure. But the underlying fears are pretty much the same for all of us. There's a number of them we're going to go through over the next three episodes. And overcoming these crippling fears is where, is where the saying, change only happens when the fear of staying the same is greater than the fear of changing. That's where that comes into play. Tony Robbins talks about this a lot. I believe Mary Kay Ash of Mary Kay fame was uh, one who talked about this a lot. She might even be the one who, who first coined that phrase. Change only happens when the fear of staying the same is greater than the fear of changing. If I want something, if, if I want something I don't have bad enough, these fears will not be able to hold me back. And if I have something I, I want, you know, if I have something that I don't want and want to get rid of bad enough, also these fears will not be able to stop me. So if I don't have something I want bad enough, or if I do have something I want to get rid of and don't want bad enough, these fears can't stop me. So that's where this saying, Change happens when the fear of staying the same, not having this thing I really want, is greater than having to overcome this fear of not being liked, for example, in this, in this conversation with the employee. Those are absolutely true. However, again, going back to my broken down car analogy, I believe that having a burning, unstoppable desire to do something isn't helpful if you really don't know how to do that thing. And that is, by and large, what drove me to give up my cushy three-day work week life and start the journey of creating this whole new business. Because I saw business coaches out there who were charging obscene amounts of money to be cheerleaders and helping people confront their fears and have personal accountability, but had no practical skills on how to manage and lead employees or create a compelling marketing message or campaign or create, document, and improve procedures and, and develop processes, read and understand financials, et cetera, those kind of things. I believe it's necessary to have both the practical knowledge to do something and to overcome the associated fears that will inevitably be ready to hold us back if we don't overcome them. Now, I suppose Mary Kay Ash and Tony Robbins would argue that overcoming the fear would then allow someone to go gain the necessary knowledge to solve their problem. So maybe it's a chicken and egg thing. Do you first need to overcome the fear so you'll go get the necessary practical knowledge? Or do you need to gain the practical knowledge so you'll be less fearful and or identify that it really is a fear holding you back? Once you know how to do it, and you don't do it, it kind of narrows down the reasons why we're not doing something. 
So I don't know. And I don't think that distinction is super important between, you know, do we need to overcome the fear first so we go gain the practical knowledge or do we gain the practical knowledge first so then we know it's a fear holding us back? I don't think it's a super important to, to figure out what the order is important. I do know that we, we will all need to address both the restrictions our fears put in place and the limitations of our lack of practical knowledge. And I do think it's important to know which is related to the specific situation we're facing. Like the ugly conversation we need to have with that employee we're putting off. I think it's absolutely vital to diagnose the reason we aren't wanting to have that conversation. Is it because I'm afraid they won't like me, for example? Or because I don't have a proven plan or practical skills and strategies to solve this problem? Those restrictions are equal. One is not more important than the other, and one is not more powerful than the other. I spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about the nuts and bolts of things, like how to do this and how to do that. I want to give business owners the same gift I was given by my fantastic mentors, the practical knowledge to solve problems and build a business that is stable and secure and will grow and thrive and doesn't require the business owner overseeing every critical outcome so the business owner can gain true freedom. That said, the fears that hold us back are just as powerful as any lack of knowledge. So pretending like these fears don't exist and don't impose very real performance, success, and achievement ceilings, is foolish. So that's the end of my long-winded preamble. So let's get to it already. First, let me take a moment to tell you that the next open enrollment period for my group coaching program is coming up in February 2023. This group is for you if you want to be guided along the path of knowing what which problems to solve and to make the most amount of progress based on where your business is today, both for me as well as other business owners in the group who have faced and overcome the exact problems you're facing today. As you know, we tackle problems relating to people, processes, profitability, planning, and personal development. Open enrollment only happens three times a year, so if you miss this one, you'll have to wait until summer 2023 to join. As prices for everything else continue to rise, the price for this membership will likely go up after this enrollment period as well. So your your pricing is locked in for life at the price you join at. So by joining now, you'll get the best possible lifetime uh, pricing. One-on-one coaching I do is always open for enrollment, but the group program only opens enrollment when we transition from one major topic to another, which we do three times a year. In the spring, the group will be taken on topics like developing a compelling marketing message, which will be more and more of a pressing issue as demand for our services drop. Uh, dealing with employee issues uh, that lead us to saying or thinking things like, why do I have to keep telling them the same things over again and over again? I've said this 53 times. Why do they keep doing the same thing wrong? So reach out today if you want me to add you to the waiting list so you're sure not to miss the open enrollment window. Just find my Service Industry Success Facebook page and send me a DM on that that says waitlist, and I'll know exactly what you mean. You can also book a no-stress appointment via my website, serviceindustrysuccess.com, to ask questions and see if this program is a good fit for you. So let's start with the fear I've already mentioned. Deep down, I really don't believe I deserve the rewards, perks, and benefits, financial and otherwise, that accompany being a successful business owner. We develop our sense of the parameters of what a quote-unquote successful life will look like or should look like for us when we're very young. Now, I'm not a psychologist, but I would guess this happens between the ages of, I don't know, 5 to 15 or, you know, 6 to 12, somewhere in there. We see what the lives of the adults around us look like. Our parents, our relatives, our parents' friends, our friends' parents, our teachers, coaches, and so on. And it's said, and I believe, that we're each the average of the five people we spend the most amount of time with. So I would guess based on that notion, again, I'm not an expert, I'm not a psychologist, but I would guess based on that notion that our perception of our own destiny and our 
ceiling for what we can achieve in life, both financial and otherwise, is developed by and large when we are young by the handful of adults we spend the most time with. Stand to reason that we see the people around us, that kind of gives us a sense for what's it, what's possible for me. If you grew up spending time with people who have an assortment of Bentleys in their 17-car garage, I would imagine you would not have a real belief that living in a trailer park is in your destiny. Conversely, if you grew up in the rough part of town, on the wrong side of the tracks, believing you could be a multimillionaire business owner would probably be a bit of a stretch. And we would have to want something so bad, like a better future for our own children, that we're willing to push that fear that we are not worthy aside. So for me, a couple of things happened. You know, I, I grew up not wealthy by any stretch. Some folks would call how I grew up uh, pretty poor. And I, I got um, my first real job was a, a union teamster job. And I thought I literally thought I'd hit the lottery. Like you had to know somebody to get this job. I thought I thought I was in. I thought like like my search for jobs is over. I'm so lucky and blessed to have this. I started at a wage of eight eighty six an hour in 1994, and you know I started having some success in the company. I started I started you know rising up through the ranks, which everybody does. There was nothing special about me in that regard. And I and I met um, somebody who really changed my life and and. The reason they changed my life is because they were the VP of this big corporation I worked for when I was when I was in my early late teens and early twenties. And this person wasn't especially talented. He wasn't especially kind. He didn't have a great deal of character. Uh, he was very selfish and kind of in it for him, and and really looked upon us worker bee type employees as kind of less than. He was very arrogant. I remember one day I brought my son to to, to work. Uh, to pick up my paycheck on a Friday or something like that. And he's and he saw my son, he goes, Oh, there's a future teamster. Like he just had this, I don't know, way about him. And it just felt to me like destiny was on his side and that wasn't fair. And I I I left there, you know, that day and other days kind of going, What why him? Like what's so great about him? He's not talented. He's not smart. He he grew up with a wealthy family. He got to go to a and I don't even might have even been an Ivy League school. Like he he was just handed this deck of cards in life that just seemed unfair to me. And I, I kind of hit this point where I was like, well, what's so special about him? Like, what, why does he get to have that? And I don't. And that began to kind of eat at me. And then um, I was introduced to somebody else at work who asked me to come learn about this plan to, to, to you know, earn a great deal of money. And it turned out to be Amway. And I turned out to, to buy it. You know, I bought the starter kit for 400 bucks or whatever it was. And I never sold a single thing. But what did happen was I began to hear the stories of the people who were successful in that. And I went to you know, meetings. I would drive with this person I worked with who happened to be my boss. It wasn't, it probably wasn't very ethical what he did and how he went about it, but I'm, I'm glad he did. It showed me that there's people who were able to break free of this idea of what their destiny was and go out and achieve what they wanted. You know, there are stories of people who would who had built a big Amway business and they would leave work like they had a helicopter come pick them up from their last day of work when they retired at age 38 or whatever. They would have a, a limousine come pick them up and take them to the airport on a private jet where they were going to go to the Caribbean for a month when they're 45. And there was these great stories of people who were successful who were willing to do what it took to be that way, to be successful. And again, although Amway was not the vehicle that was right for me, it did begin me down this, it did begin leading me down this path of asking, like, you know, why not me? Why don't my kids deserve that? What, why should I have this limitation that 
that I was handed this deck of cards in life, and that's all I'm ever supposed to be. And it really did begin to change how I looked at things. And that, you know, it took me a while to find the right vehicle. But later on in my career, I did find the right vehicle. And I did find what I was willing to put, willing to put it all on the line for, which was building my own service-based business. And um, so for me, that's where it changed, you know. And I hope that everybody kind of has this moment for themselves where they can see that just because you grew up in a trailer park or just because you grew up in, a, in an area or part of town that it is not great, that doesn't mean we have to be there. That doesn't mean we have to finish there. Just because we start there does not mean we have to finish there. You know, our, the finish line for our lives is not dictated by where the starting place is, for sure. At least I don't believe that. So for all these fears we must face, and we're only talking about this one so far today, but you know, the next two episodes, we've got many, many more we're going to get to. Don't you worry. There's, there's tons of these fears that we all face. For all the fears we must face and overcome, the way to do it is identifying which fear is holding us back. Now, I, this is what I believe. I believe it's important to identify which fear it is holding us back. I think that's much more productive, and in my opinion, in my experience, than the generic version we all hear all the time, which is you know, like the FDR quote, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, okay, that's true. I grant him that. And in the, in the context of how he said that, it makes perfect sense. But taking on fear as this, as this massive, nebulous, crippling thing I think it's more difficult than identifying which specific one is holding me back so I can work with just that one. I can trace that one back to the origins based on our childhoods. Most of these things are developed when we're three to four years old or whatever. That for me is easier to, to trace this fear back and see like, why is this thing here? Is it reasonable? No, in most cases, they're not reasonable. In some cases they are. But my point is, I think that's easier than taking on just fear in general. Fear in general is is nebulous and and it's just it's just too big of a monster, I think. So for me, it's kind of like the what, why, how thing. First, we gotta identify what. Which specific fear must I face and overcome? Next, I need to identify what I want success to look like. So instead of being held back by this fear, instead, what do I want? What does it look like to live free from this fear? So, okay. What exactly does that fear look and feel like for you? For me, in the case of overcoming my fear that I, I was not good enough to have the success of that not very nice, not especially talented, arrogant VP, owning two houses was specifically what it looked like for me. Now, that is how I would know I had overcome my fear that I wasn't worthy of success. The reason is owning one house at that time in my life was going to be a stretch based on where I thought my life was, quote unquote, supposed to go. Owning a house was going to be a stretch based on the, the destiny that had been programmed into my psyche at a young age. So owning two would tell me I had sufficiently overcome that fear. And I locked into that. Again, part of that was listening to the stories of people at the Amway meetings I would go to where they would talk about helicopters and limousines and month-long vacations in, in tropical places. But what do you know, 20 years later, that became a reality. I do own two homes now. So... We identify what the fear is. We identify what we want success to look like. Then we got to identify the why behind the, what we want by asking ourselves, what do I want badly enough to face and overcome this fear? Again, change happens when the fear of staying the same is greater than the fear of change. So what do I want badly enough to, to face and overcome this fear? Another version might be, what do I want to get rid of so badly that I'm willing to face and overcome this fear? This is a question addicts of all sorts must ask. I have this weight around my neck. I desperately want to get rid of it. But to do so, I must face, for example, you know, a, a hypothetical, this didn't happen to me, but a hypothetical example of 
a fear of abandonment because my mom bailed on me and my family when I was two years old. Again, that certainly didn't happen to me, but that's the kind of experience we might have to face when identifying the root cause of a fear we we have to overcome. And an addict might have to face that. Like to, to give up this powerfully controlling substance over my life, I'm going to have to face the, the discomfort I've been masking with it. So basically, it always comes down to what do I want badly enough to face and overcome this fear? Or what do I have and I want to get rid of badly enough to overcome and face this fear? If we don't know the answer, then it's going to be much more difficult for us to face that fear. And in some cases, it'll be really impossible. And once we've done that, then we move on to how. I know which fear I must face. I know what I want success to look like. I know why I want this to happen. Now, what are the practical steps I must put in place to get past it? Maybe I now need to go see a professional to work through some deep-seated issues. Maybe I need to surround myself with more successful people or more like meaning more quantity of successful people. Maybe I need to give up watching TV so much. These are all things I personally did to get what I wanted by way of, you know, overcoming one or more of my fears. I absolutely stopped watching TV so much when I was early in my, you know, early on in life. Um, I absolutely made a point to find successful people to be around. And I absolutely went and got professional help to work through some things I had to, like many of us all do, right? So, Anyhow, um, next couple episodes, we're going to be talking about more and more of these things. Uh, you know, there's, I don't know, 10 or 12 of them or so. Um, very, very common. And, uh, you know, you're going you're gonna to hear a, a, a good portion of a probably, hopefully, probably something you felt very much on your own. So, anyhow, that's it for this week. Uh, next week, we're going to get uh, more into these common fears I see holding business owners back. Just a reminder, our next open enrollment for my group coaching program is coming up in February 2023. This is the time to lock in your lifetime pricing before prices uh, likely go up next enrollment period, which will be in the summertime. So reach out today if you want to, if you want me to add you to the waiting list, so you're sure not to miss the open enrollment window. Just find my Service Industry Success Facebook page and send me a DM that says waitlist, and I'll know exactly what you mean. Um, for new listeners, don't forget to subscribe. Uh, also, if you've, even if you're an old listener, been around for a while, subscribe. If you haven't hit that subscribe button, please do so. Share this podcast with a friend or colleague who's a business owner in the service industry. If you haven't had a chance yet, please give us a rating review. Those are the three things that will help grow this podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible. So those are the three specific things you can do to help us grow it. Sure appreciate those who have taken the time to do so. And thanks for listening. And that's it for this week. And I'll see you all next week. Bye.